This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Karachek with the payoff pitch. High pop. Behind home plate, Luke Maley is there. Look at the youngest team in Major League Baseball has captured the Central Division crown. It's the 11th Division Championship for Cleveland. And for the 16th time in franchise history, they're going to the postseason. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com. And Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, thank you for bearing with me one of pushing this back a day because of this hectic travel schedule, but that is going to give us hopefully a fun story to get into. So that might help out a little bit, at least with some uh, content with us because Cleveland clinched this weekend. And uh, that was, that was an exciting, fun, unexpected type celebration. So um, that was a great time. And of course, I think our all caps text this week was about Albert Pujols. Um, I think that there's nothing that's going to top that for us because that was so exciting uh, to, for him to be able to hit that. I can't wait to talk about that. And of course, Aaron judge every single week, it seems like, so keep eyes on that. But uh, yeah, I guess we can talk in or start at least talking about the ridiculous weekend that was this weekend. So whenever I get a text from Mandy that involves something about a 6.30 a.m. flight (laughs) and how she is planning her weekend, I know that this is going to come up on the podcast. So on Friday night, I get a text from Mandy that says she is cleared to book a flight to go to Texas on Sunday if the Guardians are in a position to clinch. So on Friday night, we're sitting there thinking, okay, if the Tigers beat the White Sox twice and the Guardians win twice, then they're going to be in that position. But because this is Mandy, who takes wonderfully full advantage of any time off, (laughs) she was not sitting around on Saturday. She, a proud Penn State alum, was going to the football game on Saturday. So it wasn't just, oh yeah, I'm going to wake up in Cleveland (laughs) on Sunday and fly to Texas, uh, you know, if they're in a position to clinch. This was, I'm going to go to a college football game, sit around, wait, and find out at like 9 or 10 p.m. if I am actually taking that flight. So the moment I got that text, Mm -hmm. I knew we would be talking about this. today on this podcast so mandy how was yeah. your weekend Whew. uh well you told it beautifully um but it was that was exactly it i mean we get our schedules back in june there's no way for us to predict when well one that cleveland would be clinching um it wasn't something that was expected and two that if they would be it would be in texas this weekend so 
yeah, back in June, I'm like, oh, cool. Like maybe I'll go back to Penn State for the first time since I graduated in 2018. And it's like, okay, this will be fun. No, no, hectic, stupid, dumb, really regretful. No, it was still fun. But yes, 10 p.m. is whenever I get the idea that, oh my, the magic number is one. I am going to go to Texas. So a nice little two-hour drive, roll into Pittsburgh a little after midnight and fly out of Pittsburgh to Texas. Um, I started on the beat in 2019. And of course, COVID happened in 2020 and, and threw things off in 2020 and 2021. And so... I really wanted to make sure I was there to, to, to see what this atmosphere is like. And it's everything that anyone would imagine. I mean, it's just like a bunch of kids who have been free from their parents for the first time and they're running around with no rules. And they're like, here, let me just spill this on the floor. Cause I can spill it on the floor. Let me, I mean, this clubhouse celebration in particular was, let me just down a whole box of pizza because I want to down a whole box of pizza right now. It was so much fun to be able to see guys in their element like that, guys who have had this chip on their shoulder all year of let's prove people wrong because we are the youngest team in baseball. Well, I love that you said it was like a bunch of kids away from their parents for the first time (laughs) because they literally are kids. To your Mm -hmm. point, this team is the youngest in baseball. We figured that out by looking at plate appearances batter's face for pitchers the average age of everybody all added up weighted all of that they're the youngest team so that makes them just the eighth team in baseball history to make the playoffs as MLB's youngest team the last team to do that was the 1986 Mets who of course won the World Series so no pressure there The only other team to do it since the playoffs expanded uh, beyond just pennant winners facing each other in a World Series was the 1970 Reds, who, of course, lost in the World Series. Still not as long of a road as this team will have to face, but really cool. And then prior to 1969, we have the 1950 Phillies. 1949 and 47 Dodgers, Cardinals in 1944, who did win the World Series, and the Cardinals in 1943. So it's really incredible. We have not seen this happen in a long time. And, you know, to the point of youth, we think of a team like the Diamondbacks, who we've talked about on here recently. You bring guys up, you see if they're going to stick how their careers are going to go, and you work towards making the playoffs in a year or two. So to see that all come together in one year under a Hall of Fame manager has been really fun to watch from afar. And I love that you have this front row seat. I mean, it's been really, really fun because at some point you expected the wheels to fall off the cart because it doesn't seem sustainable. Stephen Kwan became sustainable. Uh, I mean, Oscar Gonzalez became something that no one thought he would become. Andres Jimenez was everything that the Guardians were hoping he would be as soon as they traded for him. I mean, their their work is cut out for them heading forward here. Yes, they clinched this first spot. They'll end up playing the lowest AL wildcard seed, uh, whoever that may be, whether it's Tampa, whether it's Seattle, whoever. Um, they're 
approach of small ball is is somehow they figured out how to make bunts and sack flies really exhilarating to watch. I don't know how they do it, but um, it actually has been really enjoyable to watch the scrappy style of play, which is opposite of today's game completely. And so uh, I thought Mike Petriello had an interesting approach to this though, because he tweeted saying, yeah, I'll admit I didn't expect this, but if someone doesn't explain to me what's wrong with Jose Ramirez right now, I don't see them being able to score enough to continue. And it's true. I think that's the biggest concern right now of, okay, well, they've, they've been able to find success in Steven Kwan, Andres Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez, um, Ahmed Rosario, Josh Naylor from time to time has really stepped up in big moments, but they've largely done this without Jose Ramirez over the last month. And that is something unheard of for this team. They're so used to Ramirez carrying the offense. Um, and so it could hurt the Guardians to not have a peak Jose Ramirez, which is what every Cleveland fan has been spoiled to see. And so I think that's going to end up being a problem for them moving forward. But it could be interesting if he can start clicking. Goodness gracious, this team could actually be really, really fun to watch. Now, I want to transition from youngest team in baseball to the other side the older side and you made reference to Albert the fact that we were texting and all capped on Friday night and of course Albert Pools hit not just number 699 on Friday night in LA an inning later he hits number 700 and it was so exciting to see I loved all of the attention and focus all of the next day treatments. MLB Vault had a really cool tweet yesterday with a picture of each swing mm-hmm. for each of his 700 home runs. Highly, highly recommend go finding that. But he has just been so much fun to watch. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but he has four multi-homer games now this season. Before him, nobody had ever had more than two multi-homer games in the season at age 42 or older. He has doubled that. And of course he did it for 700. I love the idea that he, I mean, that second at bat, I was watching the second home run at bat, I believe third of the game. You kind of just knew. He had that look in his eye. And that is such a throwback. That is a throwback to peak Cardinals Albert. And I just love that at this stage in his career, he is thriving. And the fact that for younger fans who didn't watch him in the mid-2000s, this will be their enduring memory of him. We've seen so many guys go out, even if they do get to a sort of counting stat milestone, They don't do it in the best, you know, most positive way. They're doing it because the manager feels compelled to put them out there and everyone wants to see it happen, but they're not playing well. But what's amazing is after most people were saying his career might be over after what happened with the Angels last year, here he is. He has a one 45 OPS plus this year. 100 is league average. That means he's 45% better than league average. His That would be his highest OPS plus in a season 
since 2011, which was his last year in St. Louis. I mean, it's just incredible. And I love that this is the memory he's leaving us with. I think we've talked about it a couple times now. It's like, this is, this is the last guy from maybe our generation's childhood. I know Miggy's still a thing and we can group him into that category too, but Pujols was just that icon that has been around forever and is somehow still around in 2022. And you start thinking about this type of stuff. I don't know if you go back to 2008 um, 2009, when he's at the tail end of that all-star stretch where he was an all-star every single season, he starts to wane a little bit after that. Could you imagine going back to that time and being like, oh, by the way, in 2022 is when you're going to watch him hit his 700th career home run. It would have been just mind boggling. He had MVPs, three MVPs during that stretch. And it seemed like he was in the running every single year for every year of my childhood that I can remember. Uh, He was just the face of baseball, it seemed like. And so when it's those types of guys who can last so long, like you think about what Mike Trout is now and eventually what Julio Rodriguez could turn into, like you start thinking about these younger guys. If you can see each of them have a 22 year career You just can't imagine that like the best guys being able to sustain their health and enough performance to be able to just hang around on a team because yeah, you could be the face of baseball, but no one's just going to take you because of that. You have to be able to contribute. And so to be able to hang around this long, it is just so rewarding to see that type of career and the way that it is right now. And to see such a huge milestone, a milestone that, what is this like the fourth time that baseball has seen it? Like that's unbelievable to be able to witness something like that. So uh, yeah, I I think that was warranted in our all caps text of freaking out that this finally happened because I think every, the baseball world would have just been devastated at this point for him to end the year and be one or two homers shy. It just would have been crushing. Yeah, and one of my favorite things with a big milestone like this, and I tweet about this the next day on Saturday morning, is that, you know, we are all kind of part of this as baseball fans. Albert did it when we did not hit any home (laughs) runs. But as a fan, as you said, especially growing up in this era where he was playing, where he was dominated, I feel like I have so many specific memories of watching him. Of course, the postseason home run, which is not part of the count, but the home run off of Brad Lidge, you know, everybody thinks of that. But then I found myself going through, you know, I have all of the games that I went to, at least from a certain point, written down. I have it in the ballpark app, which is not like a company, um, you know, I'm not just, standing for our company I was using that long before I worked here (laughs) but just marking down every game that I've been to and so I started going through and looking at every Angels game since 2012 and then before that every Cardinals game trying to figure out how many of these home runs I had seen and I ended up finding two so I saw number 301 in 2008 it was in the 14th inning off Aaron Heilman. I remember this game so distinctly. 
I was with my best friend since kindergarten, Hideko. And I texted her immediately and I said, did you remember that Albert hit the go-ahead home run in that game? That game had a 14th inning stretch. We were there with my dad. It was the last year at Shea Stadium. And we were pretty much just, you know, out of our minds at that point in the 14th inning. So really cool to realize that was 301. And then I also realized that my mom and I in St. Louis in 2010 saw him hit number 398 off Madison Bumgarner in the eighth inning of the game. This is a very famous game in our sort of personal lore. Uh, in our family, we were there because I was looking at colleges in the area. And it just so happened my mom's Giants were playing the Cardinals. I had never been to the ballpark, so it was on our list. We went there. Bumgarner pitched an amazing game, and they won. So I did not remember that Albert Pools had homered, but that was 398. You know, I tweeted that out, and I got all of these responses from people saying, oh, I saw this one, I saw that one. And it's very similar to the answers we get when we tweet out fielding questions or other podcasts, and we say we want to hear your experiences with these moments. So I just love that with 700 home runs, there are probably millions of personal stories that people have about each individual one. Mm, that's mind-boggling when you put it that way. It's just uh, it's so fun. And now we have one milestone down. We have possibly another milestone to go in the other league that we have in Major League Baseball. We'll get into more of that when we come back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three infielders on the left side for Judge, and here's the 3-1. Drove deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I know we could go on and on about what Albert Pujols has meant to baseball and how special this is, but I mean, goodness gracious, how are we following another home run milestone and the same season? Uh, Aaron Judge, 
has kept all of the baseball world on pins and needles. It was so funny. Um, so with my husband's family last night, which would have been Monday night, his uncle or his godfather, I should say, owns a restaurant and we were at his restaurant and it's like the sports bar and he only has a couple TVs. It's a smaller type of a place. And so he looked up and he sees the Yankees game on and he's like, it's Monday night. Like, why, why do we have the like a baseball on? It should be football. And so as the owner of this place, he goes in and he's like, let's, let's get football on. What are we doing? Like, what, what do you mean? Like baseball is the better option, but Hey, I'm whatever. And so he tried to switch it to football games and the people there requested that the Yankees game stay on because they yes. want to see if judge hits a home run. And that's not something we're used to ever hearing today anymore, because you always hear the stories about how football's like the dominating popularity sport. And I get it. I mean, I understand. I know that that's a thing, but to hear that there's storylines in baseball right now demanding that baseball be what's on television in a sports bar on a Monday night when the beginning of the football season is here and there's hype around every team and all that stuff. When people are like, no, 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 go back to baseball. We want to see if judge hits a home run. That's whenever you know that they're, they're chasing something really, really cool. And uh, yeah, so he's keeping, it seems like everybody on pins and needles to see if he can do this. I love that. That is an awesome story. And, you know, that really gets to one of my favorite parts about this 60 homer season for him, which is that I'm watching every game. So obviously I know when he's batting, but if I were not watching as long as I were on Twitter, I would know that he's batting because whether there's four games going on like last night or 15, like there will be tonight. Whenever he is up, it just feels like everybody in this collective sort of Twitter community of baseball fans, baseball writers is watching him bat. And, you know, it was really cool on Sunday Night Baseball. They had Harrison Bader, who's a new Yankee, of course, but, you know, from New York and uh, certainly grew up uh, aware of the Yankees, but they had him mic'd up and they asked him about judges at bat and he compared it to a tennis match. He said when he comes to the plate, it is so silent because everyone has this anticipation, nervousness, you know, and this was, of course, at Yankee Stadium last night was in Toronto, so maybe a little bit different when they're road fans. But just this idea that everyone is so focused on this, I love it. I think it's great for baseball and it's so much fun. I mean, we have not seen that many guys hit 60 home runs. I feel like it's just that type of number that has so much shock value, even without the context. Yeah, and he has 18 more home runs than the next person behind him. I mean, how big of a difference is that historically? That would be the sixth largest difference for a season. And the only <laughs> guy to do this was Babe Ruth, 1921, 1920, 26, 28, 24. He led by 19 or more in each of those years. And that's when Babe Ruth was basically out homering entire teams 
when he was the only guy hitting home runs. But I do think that's part of what makes what Judge is doing so special. We've seen years lately where there have been a lot of home runs. We set the record in 2017 for the most home runs in a season. Then in 2019, that record got shattered. This year is not that. Guys are hitting well, but it is not that kind of outsized offensive environment. The fact he's doing that within the context of a season where not everyone is crushing the ball just makes it even more impressive. I mean, again, it it recalls those Babe Ruth years where he was the only slugger. You go on his baseball savant page and there's 14 categories that are listed right at the top of percentiles. The first seven that you come across, he's either 99 or 100. Not only is he hitting it ridiculously hard, you see him outpacing everybody in home runs, but he's 99 in expected batting average. Like it's not only just hitting it for power, he's hitting for consistency. He's hitting for average. And uh, I think that's the most impressive part of it. You have this triple crown watch that we've been watching over the last few weeks, as much as we've been watching the home run pacer. Uh, It's just what he's been able to do to combine those has been ridiculously impressive. Exactly. This isn't a guy who's hitting 250 and hitting a lot of home runs. He is currently leading the American League in batting average. He is leading in all of those triple crown categories. So we have a stack-cast metric called run value. And that basically says how valuable you have been against certain pitch types. So that's not just how many home runs you have. That's every swing or take decision that you made on every pitch you've seen of that type. He has the two highest run values for any batter on any pitch type in baseball this year. He is plus 28 against sliders and plus 25 against four seamers. I mean, that alone, that is not just about home runs. That is about plate approach. That is about hitting that is about all of it. And that's what has been so impressive. I mean, you have this guy who's still in the running for the triple crown. And we sort of thought at some point that Paul Goldschmidt was someone that we could watch for that. And now suddenly it seems like the MVP race in the National League is getting really, really close. Definitely. I mean, I think that the conversation about Manny Machado has really started to gain steam. So if you look on fan graphs right now at the most war among National League position players, Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado are tied at the top with 7.1. Then Paul Goldschmidt is next with 7. Now, of course, a lot of that for Arenado comes from defense. We've talked on here about the idea that teammates might finish one, two. And for a while, as you said, it was a slam dunk for Goldschmidt. And he's having a great season. He has a 179 WRC plus. He's hitting 317, slugging 584. But if you look at what has gone on over the last month or so, 
the gap has definitely narrowed here. And I'm wondering, first of all, if Goldschmidt is going to win. And second of all, whether we're going to get those teammates won too. Because I think right now Machado may get a decent number of first place votes. And, you know, if you consider those things that I don't necessarily uh, credit for MVP, but we know some people do about the team doing well, any of them. The Padres are there. They sort of went through a rough patch for a while, but it does appear they're going to make the playoffs. And Machado has been the steady bat in that lineup throughout so much with, you know, oh, Tatis is coming back. Actually, it's not. They go out and get Juan Soto. He hasn't been as much of the impact as they wanted. Same with Josh Bell. And it's been Manny Machado to steady this offense the entire year. The MVP in the AL is going to be tight between two guys. NL might be a couple. And um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's going to be really, really close when you start looking at all of these stats. Everyone in this top of the pack here seems like they're getting really close in every single category. And when you're putting a list together of one to 10 to put this vote, I don't know how the heck you're supposed to justify who's four, who's six, who's it's so difficult. And I'm, I have an AL vote this year for MVP and I'm going to be just losing sleep over the fact of how, how I'm going to justify who would be six and who would be seven. Like, how do you say, okay, well, you're slightly ahead. So you can be six. You can, it's going to be a mess. And so I can't even imagine looking at the NL side right now, because there are a handful of guys who are definitely worthy at being at the top. And I want to mention two more names. If you look at what Pete Alonso has done for the Mets, especially in September, I think he is a really worthy candidate as well. You look at someone like Austin Riley on the Braves, and you kind of go through, okay, who are the best teams? Who are their best players? There are a lot of options here. I almost wonder if we're going to get to a point where sometimes there's a vote where the winner kind of comes down to those second place votes and who gets second versus third in the point system and all of that. I wonder if that might happen because I could see a bunch of guys getting uh, first place votes here. And again, this is no disrespect to Goldschmidt. It's just that there are a lot of really good seasons here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think that's a really great point. And again, no disrespect to what he's been able to do, but there, this could be a ridiculously close vote when we get down to it. But I think uh, we can uh, take a quick break and we come back. We can uh, get into our favorite moments in baseball from the last week. So stay with us and we'll get into that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Lang's researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, do you have a moment that stands out to you from this past week in baseball? Um, I have a handful. There are a <laughs> bunch that came from the team you cover. So I'm yeah. going to skip those in case you get to them. And mm-hmm. if you don't, we'll come back. But there were about a million things the Guardians did even before they clinched that made me say that. But I'll go with another one. So we talked about Albert. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm watching all of the games at the same time. And I was sitting here and I had the Giants game up playing the Diamondbacks in Arizona. And I had the Giants beat up because I watched that for my mom. And I noticed that a couple minutes after Albert Homer, they showed this con- like congregation of Giants standing at the mound, I guess during a pitching change. And it was Evan Longoria, Wilmer Flores, Brandon Crawford, and J.D. Davis. And they were looking up at the scoreboard. And then I was thinking, I, I wonder if they're watching the Albert home run. Because we've all been at a ballpark when something amazing happened elsewhere. And all of these ballparks are really great about sort of updating fans. So the Giants did tweet it out. And it was indeed all of them, those four players, watching Pools' 700th home run be shown on the scoreboard. And I know, I think it was J.D. Davis talked after the game, talked about, you know, watching him growing up, all of that. But it's just really cool. One of my favorite things in baseball, in all sports, but especially baseball, is the mutual respect. And when guys are so aware of other players accomplishing milestones, whatever else it might be. So to be in the middle of the game, look up, see that history happened, and be sort of in trance, I just thought that was really fun. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that's, I mean, yeah, I love whenever everyone's keeping tabs on the same thing. And I think that's why I really liked whenever I'm sitting in that that sports bar and it's like, okay, let's make sure we have judges game on because I want to, I want to be able to say I witnessed it. I think that's It's so important for the sport. You want everyone to be just as equally involved. And so, yes, you were right in assuming that I would get into that. Uh, Hard not to, because I sort of alluded to it before saying that they were all like children running around without their parents for the first time. I used it as the lead in my story because they were children. And that's what was fun about it. It was like, how fitting is it for the for baseball's youngest team to care more about having a pizza party than spraying champagne everywhere like it just it, it was and the epitome of what they've done this year of just embracing their youth. And that was what was so fun. So I think my favorite moment was like Oscar Gonzalez running in with a box of pizza and he's just yelling everywhere pizza 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 and he's handing it out and Andres Jimenez grabs his slice and he comes over I was recording he sees me recording he comes over and he yells food of champions as he's going by Um, and it was just an atmosphere that was like kids in a candy store as cliche as it sounds and it was um, that plus the fact that they turned I mean 
in a celebratory locker room, you cover everything in plastic. Everything is in plastic. The whole floor, all the walls, everything. And because of all the champagne and stuff that was sprayed everywhere, it was pooling on the ground. Well, the children that they all are turn the ground into a slip and slide. And so they all start (laughs) sliding across as if it's like an elementary school field day and they are all taking turns going across the floor, riding on their bellies the whole way across to see who can get across the fastest and the smoothest. Seriously, like it, like little kids. And that's what I think was fun. It wasn't just drowning each other and dousing each other in as much champagne and beer and whatever they could grab. Uh, it was just, let's make this a game. Let's make this fun. Let's figure out how else we can do this. And they are just grown up children in that clubhouse and it was funny I know Zach Meisel from the athletic told me that he stepped out for a quick second to look for someone and out in the hallway Cal Quantrill who's an old guy I say that with air quotes on the team because he's what 26 27 um and he went running out into the hallway and yelled at Stephen Kwan and a group of other young guys saying no more alcohol you guys are all underage (laughs) and Kwan was like underage dude I'm 25 and but it's just like that's the view that everyone has because they seem like they're children they're all of age but it seems like they're all just this group of young kids who just should be calling home to ask mom and dad for permission to be out so late like it just doesn't make sense and so um the way they embraced that was just it was really a fun celebration to witness um the videos that they all had of everything were so fun tito screaming accidentally dropping a word that he shouldn't have dropped uh because he didn't know he was rolling on air as he was screaming at his at his team but they were so fired up and i think the highlight of the night was talking to tito and saying like how fun is this? And he said he called a meeting together right before the game started and was like, if this is going to happen tonight, you each have earned the right to just go crazy, go crazy tonight. Like he said, he was sitting in his office beaming with pride as he could hear everyone across the hall, just screaming, going nuts. And he said, I told all of them, I don't care how late you want to party in there. Stay all night. I'll listen. I'll just stand here. I'll sit here and listen. You've earned it. And so it was like that proud Papa moment that he's had multiple times this year. And it it was really, really cool to see that. Every team has fun celebrating these, of course. And, you know, we've had a little bit of narrative this year about teams that are going for a division. They celebrate the postseason birth and figuring out like what to do in that situation so i'm really glad for this team which so much deserve to party as all of these teams do (laughs) that they clinched both at once that it wasn't okay postseason birth and then do we celebrate what do we do okay Mm -hmm. division two days later the fact that it was all at once you were fully licensed to party like that's what it should be and i was really glad to see that yeah, it was it was great. There's going to be even more celebrations to come over the next week. I can't wait to watch all of those. Those videos are awesome, and I'm sure we'll be choosing one of those for our favorite moments in baseball for upcoming in the upcoming week, maybe. But I think that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to the Ballpark Conventions podcast and we'll see you next week.